Welcome to The Mend, a podcast for survivors and victims of crime sponsored through the Center for Crime Victim Services here in Vermont. I'm Anna Nassett and will be your host today for this bi-monthly podcast and show. Today on the show, we have Vermont State Representative Maxine Grodd. This show was created to take a deeper look at services, organizations, and concepts for victims and survivors of crime. We want to acknowledge the healing process and provide resources, not only in our state of Vermont, but throughout the country, that could benefit victims and survivors of crime as they mend. As your host, I myself am a victim and survivor of crime, and my healing process and how I navigate the world through is an ongoing and ever-evolving process. I went for years of hiding myself and trauma to standing up and speaking out against crime and now travel to speak with victim service providers across this country. I will share some of the services and resources I have used over the years as I've learned to mend myself and navigate these different paths. Our hope with this show is that everyone who has been a victim of crime knows they are not alone as they mend. And for those who work in this field, that you walk away with new skills, ideas, and knowledge. I want to begin, as usual, with a trigger warning. Our goal is to create a safe place to discuss topics of healing. But with that in mind, we may occasionally hear a story related to crime, discuss our mental health, or have other sensitive matter. We urge you to care for yourself and listen at your own discretion. Today, as I said, we have State Representative Maxine Grodd with us to chat about victims' rights and laws here in Vermont and nationally. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Yes. Um, I met Maxine shortly after I moved here to Vermont. I was reading the news and saw that she had just gotten a bill passed that provided more protection for victims of stalking. Uh, being a victim of stalking myself, who had just relocated to this state to find safety, I was really excited to see the work that Maxine had done. And so I sent her an email saying thank you. Well, much to my surprise, you emailed me right back, which was not something I knew from Washington State, um, and just kind of really impressed me and made me go, having just moved here, thought, I think this is a good place to be. Like, you can get involved really quickly and that your, your representatives really care about your voice. Um, so over the last three years, Maxine and I have developed a friendship. I've helped with her campaign a little bit. Mm -hmm. And she was able to have the State House here in Vermont do a proclamation honoring National Stocking Awareness Month in January, which was amazing. And I'm just deeply inspired and appreciative for the work you do for people in this community, within this state, and even nationally. Um, some of the things that you've passed have just really set a standard nationally. So thank you for being here. Thank you. So let's start off by talking a little bit about your history. Uh, what led you to running for office, how long you've been in office, just kind of how you got to this place where you're at. Sure, so I'm um, going on my 20th year in, in office and um, like many women I was asked to run. I didn't say I'm going to run for office. Uh, I was always interested in, in policy. Um, I still think of myself as a policy maker as opposed to a, a politician. Um, I do have a law degree. I went to Vermont Law School and um, I've always been interested in um, women's issues, um, women's health issues, and, uh, and justice and access to, to justice. Uh, I also served on the first uh, Center for Crime Victim Services Board, so the, the, um, the organization, the agency that is uh, supporting this, this show. Um, so that was, gosh, I was pregnant with my first daughter, so almost 30 years ago. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, um, 
Yeah, so it's just, it's really part of, part of my DNA, I think, yeah. um, in terms of crime victims' issues and protections, yeah. When somebody asked you to run for office, what made you say yes? Or take that, take that shift in your path? Well, it just, it sounded like an interesting challenge, and I was like, hmm, then I just, so... I you just, just did it. And, and actually, the person who asked me said, oh, don't worry, you're not going to win, but just get your name out there. <laughs> so, um, and lo and behold, you won. <laughs> right. And I did, right. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Maxine, I'm continually blown away by the work you do for victims of crime to pass bills, work for better safety, and be a leader in our state for victims of crime. Mm -hmm. Can you share with us how this became a passion and cause that you decided to champion for? Sure, well, thank you. Um, so as I mentioned, I've always been interested in, um, in women's health, and I also, um, when I did practice law, I practiced quite a bit of family law. Um, but I think really in terms of my women's health background, I remember in the 80s um, learning that the one thing that women all over the world had in common um, was domestic violence, and, and to me, to me, that was very significant. Um, and again, re regardless of um, income, um, all you know, ethnicity, all across the world, that that was a thread. And I think that's when I, um, and at the same time, um, domestic violence and sexual violence was being seen as a um, public health issue, mm -hmm. and and really reframing it and um, and helping. And I say women, not, it's not only women, but predominantly women um, survivors um, find their voices and get the get the help they needed. So mm -hmm. that's, uh, I think that's where I, I started, yeah. How did um, the push go from domestic violence and sexual assault being a public, public health issue to a crime? So, I, well, I think recognizing that, um, that it really is a, is a health issue. Um, and, and so that, you know, more of a, a and I think once when we start talking about public health issues, I think um, I think policymakers will will see that you know it's it's the role of of government or the law to to protect those um, to protect those those victims. Um, and um, also, I think in terms of public health, a lot of it was about access to health services and um, and other services mm -hmm. and um, and realizing that. That actually, women that that survivors do have a voice. They do have a you know a role, and that they would get protection, whether it's by our healthcare system or by the law. Um, but that it wasn't something that they brought you know on their own, which I think many I think many victims survivors feel like that. Absolutely. So yeah. yeah. Interesting. Sorry, I'm always learning too. So yeah, I yeah. like I'm yeah. learning as we are learning together through right, this. Right. So. Um, so as you said, you have served here in Vermont for over 20 years. Can you share with the listeners how Vermont has progressed as far as serving victims of crime and how we stack up against other states? Right. So I'm proud to say that Vermont is a leader in terms of other states. Um, and we are victim-centered, which I think is, is, is very important for, um, for victims and survivors. And we'll talk a little bit later about what that means. but. Um, but, but yes, really letting um, victims, survivors have a voice um, mm -hmm. in the system, in their, um, in their future, um, you know, and, and in terms of access to justice that, um, yeah. Yeah, so. that's awesome. Well, yeah. I know I can see that evidence for myself, um, just even 
for those of you who know, I just went through a trial process and it happened in Washington State, but the amount of people who stepped up here in Vermont, mm -hmm. where this case had nothing to do with this state at all, to prepare me, to prep me, to just make sure that I had everything I needed before going out there to trial was really just said so much to me about this state and how they see victims of crime and how they want to support them, no matter if it's here in the state or nationally. Right, so right. Yeah, and I think also one thing that we, um, you know, I, I see this as also not only public health, but really a um, economic development issue, workforce development issue. And again, we'll talk a little bit later about some of the measures, but um, we have to protect our, our victims because mm -hmm. if, if, um, if victims um, don't have access to the court and um, don't have protection in terms of housing and employment, um, then they can't contribute um, to their family, society, um, you know, the workplace, and, and we're all harmed because of that. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Um, I'd like to look at a few areas that have most recently changed in our state mm -hmm. or are on the more national radar. Right. Um, so let's start with a few things that you've worked on, like the remo removal of civil statute of limitations for child abuse victims right. that got passed this year. Um, what do we, what happens now? Does it go far enough? Where, where are we at with that? And could you talk us through that? Sure, sure. So, um, so statute of limitations is a time that somebody has to go to court and, um, and in the civil arena to sue somebody. And in the criminal arena, um, the prosecutor, the state brings an action. So, um, and I, I think the moment, I think we looked at what was going on in terms of um, cases with priests and, and, and others and, um, and saying, you know, this is the time, let's, let's try to do something and give, give victims access to justice because we know that um, so many um, adults um, were abused as children and because the statute of limitations was six years, um, uh, they really had, had no access to justice. So, um, so the, what, what we passed this year is in civil law and it's the um, statute of limitations, we lifted it so it's unlimited for child um, abuse, child sexual abuse. So I'm, I'm thrilled, um, mm -hmm. however, um, I, I would like it to go, to go further, not to be limited just to, just to children, um, because you know, I think they're victims of, of all ages. Um, I think about two or three years ago, we lifted the criminal statute of limitations um, for sexual assault, and that, um, that includes um, all ages and as well as child prostitution. So, um, and you know, more and more states are, are moving that way, mm -hmm. and um, and I think it's I think it's really very important because some victims take years. I think the average age is maybe 52 or something when people actually when a victim survivor wow. begins to feel like he or she um, is ready to go to court or or recognizes. Um, so even when we had a 40-year statute of limitation, it, you know, it was limiting and. Um, and I think it's important that, you know, that access to justice um, is really, I think, part of the healing. And we heard that from victims. Wow, that's, that's a staggering age. Like, I mean, just to think about that these people would have never had that option before. Right. I'm really glad that I've been looking a lot at, like, what does justice look like to us? That's a great question. And, you know, it might not be a conviction, 
but being able to have that voice heard, being able to know that you're not alone is such an important component to justice. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think, um, I think sentencing, for instance, is one place where, where victims of, of crime, you know, all, all crimes, mm -hmm. um, can, can have a voice and really, um, really say what happened and, and how it affected him or her mm -hmm. and, and others. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I know that very well firsthand right, right. now. So, right. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I would like to shift a little bit to another area that I know you've worked on, and that's around, around gun violence and prevention. And I know this is something that's huge on every one of our minds every day as right. we look at the news and try and navigate this world. Um, what can you tell me that, like, we're how we're at as a state um, and then just nationally what you think like we should be doing where we should be looking i mean i just saw today in the news that walmart i believe has just said they're not going to sell ammunition is that correct that, that is that is correct certain ammunition and and i applaud that yeah um, just like dick sports i believe um stopped selling certain um handguns or firearms and and their sales actually have gone up um, so mm -hmm. I think people appreciate that. Um, yeah, I think um, Vermont, um, let's see, a little more than a year ago, we did pass a, um, you know, at that time, a comprehensive firearm um, violence prevention act. We certainly could do more. I, I would mm -hmm. really like to, to build on that. Um, one thing that, um, that I'm, I'm hearing and reading about in terms of um, any sort of thread or common theme with many of these mass murderers um, is a background of domestic violence or hatred, anger towards women. And so when we talk about root causes, um, I think we really need to look at violence against, against women mm -hmm. um, and look at our, um, are our laws as protective, um, you know, preventative as, as possible. And Vermont has um, a very high rate of um, domestic violence-related homicides, and um, and that's that's a real issue that I want to um, that I have worked on, and that I want to continue to work on. Yes, absolutely, it's so important. Um, yeah, I look at I think there's two women who were murdered last year in Burlington, mm -hmm. yep. and both had gone and reported their you know the domestic violence and everything, and then they ended up murdered. And I know that's something that's really dear to my heart as well right. um, as I look at these laws and I see you know how they have kept me safe and how so many people have worked to keep myself and others safe and I think it's just so important that we continue to do that for every person in our state so right right and one of the bills that um, that I have in my committee um, right now does um, will have um, as part of a relief from abuse order, judges order um, that the firearms be removed. And while they can do that, um, they don't necessarily do that. Um, sometimes it depends upon the county. Um, Vermont, we have 14 counties, so we have, in a way, 14 systems of uh, justice. Mm -hmm. um, and I really feel um, that there needs to be consistency and consistent access to justice. Um, so it's really getting those getting those firearms out, um, making sure firearms are in the hands of who they should be and not in the hands of who they shouldn't be. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so. whatever I can do to help. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we can kind of tie this into, like, we, we hear a lot about the intersection of mental health and criminal justice. Right. Um, what does that mean for victims of crime? 
Right. Thank you. So I actually, um, I just want to add one thing. Um, when we are talking about gun violence, I want to make clear that mental health is not, you know, Thank the motivator you. contributor. You know, exactly. there, there may be mental health issues, but. Um, you know, we need to understand that that's, that's not what we're talking about. Yeah, and yeah. I'm really glad that I feel like that has been shown more light on recently, that the mental health is not the component for right. mass shooting. Right, right. So many people that live beautiful and brilliant, healthy lives right. Right. that have a mental health condition. Right, so, right. Yeah. Or domestic violence, the same yeah, thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're, we're talking about... Anger. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So anything. Right. So so the criminal, the intersection of criminal justice and, and mental health is is a is a tricky one, um, and I think and it's something that I'm working on currently and will continue to work on. And I think um, in the criminal realm we have victim notification. Um, so if if a victim requests it, and that's um, you know hearings, change in placement, um, you know those those types of things. In the mental health area, um, we don't have that, and we're hearing that it's because of privacy and, and um, HIPAA and other laws, um, which you know certainly I, I understand and I respect. Um, that being said, though, um, a committee that I serve on the Justice Joint Justice Oversight Committee, we're we're looking to see how how exhaustive are those laws. Um, we do hear that other states do have victim notification in the mental health arena. So, um, so if they're seeing if there is some way that we can legally um, give victims um, more, more notification, more feeling of empowerment um, in, you know, in, in that process. Awesome, so that's a really good thing. We'll see, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Yes, um, so a year or so ago, the Sexual Assault Victims Bill of Rights was passed. Can you share more about this and the national organization that is working with each state to get this piece of legislation passed? Right. I'm, I'm very passionate about this, and I know this is something that you helped have happen as well. So. Right. Well, that was great. The organization is is called Rise, and um, yeah. So, so one of the um, main components is making sure that the sexual assault exams are um, are free or you know or affordable to victims um, because what we are hearing is that um, a lot of victims well first they would they would you know go to the hospital and they would be sat down with with a nurse um, so a sane nurse which is the um, sexual assault nurse examiner very specialized nurse mm -hmm. and have to go through the paperwork regarding payment and um, and nowhere else does a health care provider do that, okay? Usually it's an right. administrative person or somebody, you know, the door before, right? Um, this is during the exam, <coughs> so that um, that in and of itself was very intimidating, very difficult for the, for the nurse. And, um, and also, um, either insurance didn't cover it, um, or if they did, it was prohibitive. And so there were victims, um, sexual assault victims, that were, were not getting the the proper exams and certainly not getting um, access to justice. So, um, so through the law, we made sure, with the with the help of the Center for Crime Victim Services, um, that insurance would cover it, or if not, that there would be a fund, and so that um, so the victims didn't have to worry about that because 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 these barriers um, really revictimize the victims. Absolutely. And, right, and so it was you know removing that you know that very important um, you know barrier. So, and then. Um, created a study looking at at the exams and looking at the nurses and and um, and really making sure that they have the um, that they have the resources that they that they need 
So awesome. Yeah. And Rise is the national organization, and that was started by um, Amanda. Uh, Wang, I believe. I'm not okay. sure if I'm pronouncing it right. Okay. right. Who is a survivor herself, and yes. um, she did an amazing work in um, in Congress and got you know almost a unanimous bill in terms you know which was like unheard of in those times to get such a a bill through. Um, so yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. yeah, I'm really inspired by her work. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So, um, so can you tell me a little bit about what else has been passed in this last year? Right, right. So um, as I mentioned, um, there are other barriers that have been in, um, in place that we're trying to remove for, for victims. So for instance, um, employment, going to court, um, the fact that um, often victims um, are not given time off to go to work. I mean, to from work to go to court, um, or if they if they do take the time off, they might be retaliated against. They might lose their jobs. Um, so, in in terms of um, anti discrimination, um, we you know we created law that um, so that victims um, would be able to um, go to court and not be um, not be discriminated. Um, also, the same thing with um, housing discrimination. Um, housing is very very difficult for, for crime victims mm -hmm. um, and their, often their, their children. Um, so again, the new law would allow um, victims to terminate their lease, um, change their locks, um, have, their, have their rental unit changed, um, you know, under certain circumstances. You know, certainly they would have to show that they were victims. But mm -hmm. again, another, you know, another um, protection. Um, and victims often have to move, unfortunately, for their own safety. Yeah. And, as you know. <laughs> as I know very right, well. And, right. and Elise. Yeah, and that no, housing yeah. component is huge. I mean, for myself over the years, I would always, once I signed my lease, n let my landlord know, like, if you ever see this name of this individual or hear of them loitering around, you need to let me know. Um, and the same with employment. Like, right. I've definitely lost a lot of work over the years and been penalized. Right, um, right. And, you know, those parts... It's so frustrating because you as the victim, suddenly you're considered not safe. And so, you know, an employee might not want you, or an employer might not want you there, housing might not want you there, um, or you are retaliated because you have to take off time and you're already losing income from all of the emotion that's happening. Right. So right. it's, I'm really like these two pieces, I just think are so important for anybody moving forward um, with right. their life to have those very, very basic absolutely necessity things covered. Right, right. And it is, um, it's un unpaid time. We're not expecting yeah. the employers, but, but, uh, but again, um, at least, um, you know, victim, you know, won't be, won't be discriminated against. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is, um, if a victim, um, if a child is born as a result of human trafficking, um, then the, um, the perpetrator, the trafficker, um, cannot ask for um, parental rights and responsibilities. One would think that's <laughs> a no-brainer, but, but it's not. But it's not, and yeah. um, and actually, I think there's federal law on that, but we didn't have state law on okay. that, so we wanted to be um, consistent with with that. And actually, um, having that law tied into grant money, federal grant money, um, yeah. So great. Um, and we also have something similar to that for um, sexual assault. If a child was um, born as a result of sexual assault, same thing. Um, the, um, the perpetrator cannot have um, um, you know, parental rights and responsibilities. Good. Whatever so, we can do to protect folks is right, important. Right. Um, 
what um, I think we're kind of looking at like what issues do you have to help are you hoping to work with on the upcoming session which starts very soon correct right right in um, officially in January okay we're, we're all sort of in the planning session and working yeah. with our various different partners the stakeholders now um, certainly I want to continue on um, firearms and, and violence prevention so um, specifically looking at relief from abuse orders and removal of, of firearms mm-hmm um, also um, Housing for victims. I know that there's been talk about setting up um, some sort of fund or something, um, you know, to for housing, and, and um, that's not really in my wheelhouse. Um, different committee, but it's something that's certainly um, I know it's been um, it's been a priority for um, for the advocates. Um, yeah, I think. So I'm writing that down because I'm really excited about the housing portion. Right, um, right. Would like to be involved in that. So, um, Maxine, let's see here. How do we as citizens get involved in working on legislation or bringing issues that pertain to victims to the table? Well, you're a great example. <laughs> um, email your legisl legislator, or if there's a, um, you know, even I, as chair of the House Judiciary Committee, I hear from a lot of people, even though I'm not necessarily their representative, but I would say, you know, reach out to legislators, reach out to organizations um, like the Center for Crime Victim Services, like the um, network against, Vermont Network Against Sexual Assault and Domestic Violence, um, and just say, you know, find out about them, say I'm interested. Yeah. And, uh, what can I do? How yeah. can I? Yeah. Yeah. What's available in my my area, and uh, I think it'll be greatly appreciated. Yeah. Well, like I said, just you talking about housing for uh, victims of crime. Like I immediately made a note. I'm like, I need more info on that. I want to know who's in charge of that. I right. want to be involved in that. Right. Right. Well, the network is a great place to start. <coughs> um, and uh, yeah. And then um, come to the state house. It's the wonderful thing about the Vermont State House is it's open. <laughs> Walk in any time and yeah, awesome. Come find us. Awesome. Yeah. I apologize to our listeners. I'm getting over a little cold. Um, well, thank you so much. As we wrap up this episode, I know that we've barely begun to scratch the surface of issues. But is there anything you'd like to share that we haven't chatted about yet? I don't think so. I think um, I think you did a great job at <laughs> um, at covering the bases, and uh, yeah, and just looking forward to continuing to to work with you and and others. And uh, there's always more to do. Awesome. And I can't do it without you and and other advocates and and other survivors. It's really important to have that dialogue and and that um, that experience that that you bring. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. It's, an honor to be in your district, for right. sure. Thank you. Um, Maxine, it has been such an honor to have you here today. The work that you've done for the state of Vermont is profound. Um, like, we've talked specifically about victims, services, and rights today, but I know that your work covers so many other areas. You've worked on, you know, eliminating the statute of limitations for sexual assaults, protection against sexual harassment in the workplace, mm. the sexual assault bill of rights that we talked about, parentage law, employment protection for victims, removal of firearms for domestic violence scenes, and so much more. Um, I know I am safer for the work that you do, and I know that my voice is heard because of the person that you are. Right. Thank you. Thank for you. me, personally, getting to sit in an interview is an absolute honor, um, and knowing that I get to sit with somebody who's passed laws that could potentially save my life is really that's a hugely humbling thing. So oh, thank, thank you. Well, thank you. 
Um, I want to close each show with a positive message. So if there's one parting thought you could share with victims and survivors of crime, what would it be? That, that you're not alone and that there are advocates and others that um, are here for you. Your voice matters and that we're here to stand with you and listen to you and, uh, and help, you, help you be strong and, and, and find your strength. So. Awesome. Well, I know you do that in all of the work that you do. <laughs> thank you. So thank you so much for being here today, Maxine, right. for talking about victims' rights and laws in our state. Um, to everyone listening, write your state representative. They might just write you back. <laughs> um, and if you have any ideas or questions for shows coming up, you can contact me at Anna at StandUpResources.com. I'm your host, Anna Nassett, and I look forward to sharing more with you every other week here on The Mend. Be well, be strong, and thank you.